Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. We're going to be in Hebrews 11 and really want to focus right on uh, the beginning of it. But I'm going to read through verse... I'm just going to read the whole thing. Why not? Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for. Proof of what is not seen. For by it our ancestors won God's approval. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was reproved a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken, he was approved as one who pleased God Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he existed and that he rewards those whom he seeks. Actually, I am going to stop there for right now. I may read the rest of it to give you a quick synopsis of what happens through the rest of of Hebrews 11. The writer just goes through their genealogy and says all these patriarchs and all these matriarchs and all these people who we have looked back on and celebrated and held up, those are the people that we look to, not in place of God, but as a uh, kind of example of of what what does it really look like for a person who is not God in flesh. We had a human that we could look to, Jesus, right? And, And Jesus makes it into Hebrews 11. But these are actual people who weren't perfect, who just looked to a perfect God and their example. And so he just lays them out. And so there's all these men and women of faith, uh, all the way down to the ones at the end where he said these were the ones who were, who walked around in animal skins because they were persecuted, trying to hide. They were sawed and cut in two and beaten with chains. And there's, like he holds those up to the exact same level that he holds up Moses and Noah and Enoch and David and, and uh, Abel. But he starts out, by saying faith is the evidence of things that we hope for and the substance or the proof of things that aren't yet seen. I've told you guys about a time in 2009, I mean, excuse me, uh, in 1999, not 2019, but 1999. Last century, as my kids like to remind me. I was hiking through the Himalayan mountains in northern India. And on this hike, um, there were a number of kind of treacherous things, and there were some funny stories along the way, and some of it uh, I could take up the entire time this morning telling you guys stories from that. But I want to tell you one quick one, and it was about a mountain that they called the Leg Whipper. And this mountain, we walked up to it, and it was one of the shortest days of hiking that we had, and it was a relief because we had just finished up was one of the longest days. We, were, we had just spent 
basically 12 hours hiking 25 miles over 18,000 feet. A uh, handful of people in our group got altitude sickness. It was a really rough day of hiking. We should never have gone that far. There was, a, there was some anger <laughs> within some of our group at the Sherpas who, who, who basically took us double what we should have gone at that altitude. And, uh, but everybody survived, and, and so we're on this. Uh, in fact, I don't think it was the next day. I think we just took a day just to rest um, when that happened. And then the next day, we pack up, and we, we start hiking. It was one of the shortest days. It was only about three and a half, four hours. But you went up and over, okay? And, and during this hike, 250 miles, you can imagine, we, we, we hit 11 passes. Uh, I think that's right. If I'm exaggerating, I apologize. But I think it was like a 9 or 11 passes, somewhere around there, where we actually passed over the top of a mountain. And the highest one was actually, I don't remember, it was just under 20,000 feet. It was uh, the snow line hits at 18.5, and we were above the snow line just for a you know, brief maybe an hour and a half or so of that, of that hike. Um, the rest of the time, we were probably between you know, 13 and 17,000 feet elevation up and down, and we passed over a number of mountains. You know, like I said, the highest one was over 18.5, you know, and there were some smaller ones. And a lot of them took like, you know, you'd be hiking, I don't know, four or five hours, and you'd hit the pass of it. It wasn't like you see in the movies where, you're climbing, you get to the summit, right? It, it really was just like, oh, that was the summit of that mountain. You, you, it wasn't uh, anything notable. You know, when you're in a place like that, that's as grand as that and as big as that, uh, every mountaintop is not spectacular. I mean, they are in their own right, but they're surrounded by such other ones that it's like, and then the biggest ones, right? Um, you have K2 and Everest there that, you know, tower over the rest of them. So it really wasn't... Uh, there were really some, some times where you passed over a mountain and you may not have ever known that, that you passed over it. This one you knew. They called it the leg snapper. I think I said the leg whipper first. They called it the leg snapper. And what it is, is it was the highest ascent in the shortest amount of time in the world. And so you're standing at the bottom of this mountain. And it was really only about an hour, hour and a half hike to the bottom of it. And then you look up and you see this zigzag. It's kind of going off the top, right, like this. You know, most of the mountains are kind of winding and going, and you don't even really realize when you hit the top. This one you knew because it just zigzagged all the way up to the top. And then I'll tell you, on the way down, it was, there was no zigzag. It was just like you're, you're trying your best not to let gravity, you know, propel you down faster than you want to go. Um, and they called it the leg snapper because it was the quickest, it was the highest ascent in the shortest amount of time. And it only took about, and I think if I remember right, it only took three hours up and down. I mean, it was, and then our day was done. There was a river at the other side. We stopped there. We camped. Our day was done, right? So an hour and a half, hour and hour and a half to it, up and down, three hours, day was over. But that was, like, intimidating. You're looking at the bottom of this mountain, and you're looking up and, like, what in the world? Now, here is the good thing that we have. We were going, you know, let's just say this way in the Ladakh Valley, and there was other hikers and other groups that were going this way in the Ladakh Valley, and you would oftentimes pass each other, and you'd chat and talk and, and you know, whatever. It's nice to see some people every now and again. And um, we met a group that was, had, that was coming down this side of the leg snapper, and we were going up this side, 
you know, and they kind of gave us some pointers and like, yeah, it was not easy, but it was, you know, here's what you do and here's, you know, and it, and it kind of gave us some, <laughs> some hope, right? Like you're looking at this thing and like, I have no hope to make it to the top of this mountain. In fact, I may get halfway up and roll back down. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. And then you talk to people who've been there. And they're telling you, like, this is what it is. It's not that bad. It looks intimidating, but here is the truth. And, that, and they weren't lying to us. We get up and down, and it wasn't as bad as it seemed. In fact, the worst part of it was going down on the other side. That was the hardest part of your knees, trying to keep your body from just wanting to just start running, um, just from, from gravity. And that is a lot of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about through the rest of the book. He's saying, here's all these people who've gone before us, who have done it, who've experienced it. They're sharing with us through scriptures of what it looked like for them, how they were able to endure. But he starts out by saying faith, this thing that, that God said, without it, it is impossible to please me, right? God, God said without faith is impossible, or uh, through Paul, God said without faith is impossible to please me. And here the writer of Hebrews is saying that what faith is, is the evidence of things that are hoped for, the proof of things that aren't yet seen. And so this morning I want to talk about hope because we're starting out with a new year. And we're starting out a new year uh, different from any other new year that, we've, that any of us have ever experienced. A lot of our lives were shut down this year. A lot of our lives were disrupted in a lot of ways. Um, fear gripped a lot of our year. Anxiety gripped a lot of our year. And yet these are all things that God says, these aren't necessarily things that are of me. And we're starting out this year knowing what went before us. And there is this hope, right? This expectation, this desire that this year will be better than the past. That 2021 will bring, you know, maybe not the end of COVID-19, but definitely a, a way for us to navigate normally through it uh, and vaccines. And so we see this thing, this is a carrot that's kind of dangling out there, and we have this hope. But the writer of Hebrews is saying that Faith, what it is that pleases God, is the evidence of things hoped for. For the Hebrew, faith was always closely linked with hope. Faith is looking at God and trusting Him for everything. While hope is looking at the future and trusting God for it. And that's where we find ourselves on this first Sunday of 2021 is we're looking at the future and trusting God for it. Because if there's anything at all that 2020 taught us, it's that none of us can control any of it, right? There are people out there who, who don't believe the virus is real, okay? I mean, I, I don't know why somebody would believe that, but there are people with which that is their belief. Fine. You don't believe it's real. You can't keep it from happening to you, right? 
I read a story today, this this, this morning, um, in uh, in, a, in a newspaper about a young lady. Uh, well, she was in her like late forties, I believe. Her sister, who was three or four years younger, her perfectly healthy, died of COVID. They all got it at their mother's funeral. And they did everything that they could. They really limited it. They social distanced. They wore masks. They didn't, they really thought they were doing the things that they needed to do. My wife and I both, we we have been early adopters of wearing masks and going out in public and doing all the things that we know to be safe to do and really trying to limit that. We, we love opening our homes to neighbors, but for a long time we didn't. And even when we did, we really limited that number. Um, we, we did a lot of things with uh, intentionality this year, and it didn't prevent my wife from getting COVID. Um, I did nothing different from my wife, and yet I'm living in a house with her, and I didn't. I mean, it doesn't make sense. And one thing that 2020 has taught us with this thing is we can't control it, right? You can't control if the government's going to shut down everything and basically pull the economy to a halt, right? You can't tell if you get the coronavirus, if you're one of those, you know, one or two or three percent or whatever it is, that actually takes a turn for the worse. Like we can't control any of it. And and what 2020 did for us, we aren't in control. Is it reminded us that we aren't in control? You may be like me. I used to love air travel when I was a kid. Uh, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. It never bothered me. I've flown all over the world multiple times. Uh, I've been to China. I've been to Russia a handful of times. I've been to Rwanda. Uh, I've obviously been to India and hiked through the Himalayas, and I've been to South America and Central America a bunch. And so I've, I've flown. I've been on more 12-hour uh, air flights than I can remember. Or I could probably sit and count them up. You don't want to see me do that. But it's just it's been a lot, and I used to love it. Now it brings me unbelievable anxiety because the first thought that goes to my mind when those planes' wheels leave the ground and you can kind of feel like gravity kind of, you don't, you're not on the ground anymore, you know, you got that feeling. It's like, I cannot do anything to prevent this thing from falling out of the sky and killing me right now. It's like this terrifying, I don't know what it is. Like, I used to love it, and now, like, if I could just drive places, like, I, I used to, like, laugh at folks like that. Now I'm like, I totally get it. If I could just drive, I'd be cool doing that, as if I have any more say in what's going to happen, right? And that is what 2020 has taught us. Uh, Sometimes we feel when there's a coronavirus or when the government shuts things down or whatever it is that you're holding your security on and it is pulled out from under you, you realize, I don't have control over this. I have to trust God in this. Every time I feel those plane's wheels leave the ground and gravity kind of take over, I'm like, ah, I got to trust God because I can't do any. I don't know how to fly a plane. And even if I did, I'm in row 19B, nowhere near the controls of the plane. That's just, I got to trust God in it. And 2020 did that for us. It reminded us that no matter what it is that we do, we have to trust God. We have to have this hope, looking at the future, trusting God for it. We see in verse 1 that Hebrews actually defines faith in relation to that hope. It's one thing to have hope, but when you have the faith underneath it, that's what gives us the assurance, right? The proof. The interesting thing is is there's a lot of people in this world who have hope but don't have Jesus. 
I can think of a number of them myself. Super upbeat, super positive, super optimistic, super outgoing. Sometimes they're not outgoing, but they have this, right? They don't have Jesus. Hope without faith is just optimism. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with optimism. Nothing wrong with it. There have been books written by it, right? Remember, uh, I can't remember who wrote it. The Power of Positive Thinking. You know, just think positive and good things are going to happen. Napoleon Hill, back in the 1700s, wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich. And there have been many, many people who have leaned into that and really kind of took it on and, and done quite well for themselves. I would also say there's people who've read that book and haven't, right? But there's something to be said. There's something to be said to having an optimistic outlook and having you know, this hopeful kind of thing, but hope without Jesus is just optimism. They've done studies on people who were uh, overweight or had health, you know, uh, who weren't healthy in whatever way. They didn't exercise. They didn't whatever. And they did, they, they'd done control groups where one group of people just kind of kept living their lives the way they did it. The other group of people did, but they spent like 20 or 30 minutes a day just imagining themselves working out. They didn't actually work out. They just imagined themselves working out. And then they studied those two groups over a period of time. And what they found was the two groups did physically nothing different than the other group. The only thing was one group thought about it. The other group never thought about it intentionally. That was how the study was designed. And, and the people who spent you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes a day, whatever it was, thinking about working out actually saw some benefits to their health. They saw improvement. They weren't hugely different, but there was a marked difference between them and the, and the group that didn't. So there is something to be said. There's something good about optimism. We, we like it, right? We, we want to be optimistic people. We want to be people where the glass is half full. If you're a person who's not like that, and I, I tend to be cynical, if I'm being honest. You, uh, if you've spent much time around me, you don't <laughs> that doesn't probably come as a surprise. I tend to doubt a lot of, uh, I don't trust very easily. Let me put it down. I don't know a better way to put it. But I tend to be that person who, if someone tells me a story, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go find that out for myself. I'm not just taking your word for this, right? Uh, it's not that I don't have an optimistic outlook. I think I do, but I, I mean, I know people who just, like, they'll just buy into it. Uh, I remember football coaches when I was a kid growing up, and they would just kind of sell this stuff, right, all day long. And I was like, well, you know, and I was just a different guy. I wanted to test it. I wanted to try it. I wanted to, you know, that was just me. Uh, but there's nothing in it. But even people who have that, like, I want to be more optimistic than I am. Uh, so people who have that understand the benefits of optimism, and so there's nothing wrong with it at all, except for the fact that without a faith, it's nothing more than just, that hope is nothing more than just optimism. And the good news is for the believer, for us, we have more than optimism, right? We don't have story after story after story in Scripture for nothing, right? We don't share with people our testimony for nothing, it is very much a, hey, this happened to me, 
because of what God did, not because of what I did. And so as a result, because I've had this faith, when I hope for the future, there's assurance that undergirds it because that faith is there. It becomes more than just a hope. It becomes more than just optimism. It becomes an almost certainty in my life. It's the way that we can get that thing that it talks about in Scripture, about having that faith or that peace that passes understanding. How in the world can you get that in the midst of something that would rack our brains and rack our souls with anxiety and fear? Except for the fact that we hope it's different. And not only we hope it's different, we have faith in a God that we know makes it different, can make it different if he chooses. And if he doesn't, our hope still lies in the fact that God is good even in the midst of that. Scriptures tell us that we mourn, but we don't mourn as people without hope because we have faith that God... When there's a loss of life, that is not the end of life. That we believe and hope and trust and have faith in a God who defeated death. So hope with faith comes from our own experiences, for sure. Scripture, for sure. Those things in our lives that tell us and show us the promises of God. And so our lives end up being coupled with both having these promises from God and then having experiences that show us that these promises are true. That God's not lying. If someone comes to me and says, I'm in the midst of this tumultuous kind of thing, and I remind myself of this all the time because I'm in the midst of one right now. Um, But then I remind myself of God giving my wife and I peace. In the midst of our second pregnancy, when our first ended in a stillborn, and our second was twins, and one of the twins we found out died, and the next seven days were just anxious because the doctor didn't want to take the other twin yet. What if he dies? We've only been pregnant twice. Like, What if we lose every baby we've ever had? It's just seven days in, something happened. It changed, and I can't explain it. All I know is on the sixth day, I went to bed nervous. I didn't sleep much that night. I finally fell asleep, and when I woke up, it was different. And I remember saying something to Natalie that night or that that, that next day, and she was like, yeah. And I don't know if it happened at the same time. I mean, she may have experienced it a day or two before, but when I was finally able to verbalize it, you know, she's like, yeah, same came to us differently, but it's the same. We had this peace. That's how, that's how when someone comes to me in the midst of that, I can tell them I know for a fact this happens. Not because I read it in a book, but I've experienced it. And sometimes we don't know anybody who's experienced it. And we read in this book, and we're like, God, I have faith because I know that you've been good and true to your other promises. And so because of that, it gives me faith because there's this thing that I'm hoping for. And I know that you've been faithful to these other promises. And so I have faith that's undergirding my hope to give me that assurance.
Hope with faith comes from knowing the promises of God, and there's a number of ways that we do that, and the main way that we do that is through Scripture because the only way to know what it is that God has promised us is to know what his promises are. And so what I want to encourage us to do in 2021 as a, as a community of faith, as a family together, is to read through the entire Bible. And there's, I, I know uh, there's some of you guys I've talked to uh, that do this every year. That's fantastic. I want you to do something maybe different. Maybe you've done this before. That's great if you have. It's not, I tell you what, it's not going to hurt you to do it again. Read through the Bible. Let's start tomorrow morning from Genesis to Revelation. Maybe you've never done that. You may have never gone through the Bible front to back. You may have done like one of those Bible in a year reading plans and they'll jump around. They'll do like a little bit of Proverbs, a little bit of Psalms, a little bit of New Testament, a little bit of Old Testament kind of every day. And you get through it in the year and that's great. There's nothing absolutely. There's never a bad way to read the word of God, right? C.S. Lewis read the word of God to try to find faults in it to prove it wasn't right. <laughs> and God proved to him it was. There's not a bad way to read the word of God. But here's what I would encourage you to do. Here's what I would love for us all to do. Read through the Bible this year front to back, Genesis to Revelation in that order. And, and I was researching a little bit, and here's what it comes out to be. If we do that, uh, starting tomorrow, it gets a little wonky because it's not a definite like three or four chapters. But if we read three or four chapters a day every day, you'll get to the end by next year. Uh, by, by this time next year, right? By the beginning of, by the end of 2021, we'll be done. So if you read three chapters a day, four chapters a day, maybe you'll alternate. Maybe you'll read three chapters one day and four the next. But it's somewhere in that range of three to four chapters a day, starting in Genesis and ending in Revelation, we'll be done in a year. And I would encourage you to do that. In fact, if you just want to read four to make sure you get there, that's fine. Here's what I'll tell you. If you get to 2021... If you get to like January, I mean, December 31st of 2020, and you're on like Revelation 2, my guess is you'll probably just bang out the last, you know, 19 chapters and be done with it. Or <laughs> you'll still get a lot of benefit even if you didn't quite get there and you finish it on, you know, January 5th or whatever. But I would love for us to read through the Bible. But here's what I want us to do as we read through it. And just like we did with the... Uh, with the things of oh, uh, during Advent, I'll be checking in from time to time. How are you doing with this? But here's what I'd like you to do. Highlight, have a highlighter with you when you're reading Scripture. And I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to make notes and write a paper or do anything like that. But just as you're reading, just have a highlighter nearby and just highlight every time you see a promise from God, right? Don't eat of this tree and I'm going to give you what you need. I'll always provide for you. Highlight, right? Know this rainbows in the sky is a reminder that I'm never going to do this again. Highlight, reminder of uh, the promise of God, right? Every time you see me, just highlight her. You don't need to write any notes. Just, just highlight it. Taking note, what it's going to do is train your mind to take note of the promises of God that are found in Scripture. You'll also be able to very quickly go back to it. Now, you might not like highlighter. You may like to underline, whatever. Don't really care how it is to do it. Highlighter is easier for me because I don't, I don't draw straight lines uh, at all, and so I'll end up like crossing through the next one, so that's why I like a highlighter. Um, but whatever it is for you, just somehow mark 
the promises of God as you read his word, starting in Genesis 1 tomorrow morning. Second thing I would love for you to do is to start a journal. You know, there's nothing specific about this journal. It's not necessarily something I want you to do from reading scripture, but what I'd like for you to do, and I'm not a journal guy, so for me to do, you guys are going to have to keep me accountable to this because I always think I want to be a journal guy and I'll buy these cool-looking journals and I'll, they'll be blank. I'm just not good at that. I've never made it a huge practice in my life, but I'm going to commit 2021 to do it for this one purpose. What I want to write in the journal, and I don't care if it's a nice leather-bound journal. I don't care if it's five pieces of loose-leaf paper. Have a place where we write down all the in your life, in your life, not in the scripture, not in anybody else's life, but in your life every time that God has kept his promises. And I'm not even talking about for 2021. I mean, you may be sitting there on a random Tuesday in March and go, oh, I remember that time when I was 14 years old that God did this and kept his promise. Write it down. Because at the end of 2021, reading scripture and knowing what it is that God promises us, and having done this journal, we've written down all the times that God's been faithful to his promises in our life. We'll begin to be embodiment of this Hebrews 11. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not yet seen. We begin to build an expectancy in our life. Not an expectancy that God's going to uh, do like that... Uh, uh, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Not that kind of expectancy, but expectancy that God is going to be faithful to his promises because anxious times when a pandemic comes up, when we lose a job, when we go through turmoil, when a family member gets that call that we don't want to hear, whatever it is, we can more quickly go back. God, you are faithful. You made this promise. You kept it. You made this promise in Scripture, and that's where you kept it, Scripture, Right? You made this promise in Scripture, but here's where you've kept it in my life. And we begin to build these times of expectancy. Also want us to spend more time in prayer as a community of faith. It sounds like an obvious one, right? <laughs> Read his Bible and pray. But really intentionally just pray. Because there's a lot of things that are on the horizon for us individually and also for Mosaic Church. And there's some decisions that we'll be kind of bumping up against and making. And what we want to do is make sure that we're following the Holy Spirit. And we want to make sure that there's not, that we don't make decisions based out of fear. That we make decisions based out of expectancy of knowing that this is what God's called me to do and this is what I'm willing to do regardless because I trust that God's going to be faithful to his promises. Because what I, what I promise you Is it in 365 days as we're talking about 2022? If we've done this for the entire 2021, we will have this expectancy about us. We will have this hope that's not built on just optimism, but it's built on faith that gives us assurances so that when we begin to pray and when we begin to talk to people, man, it, it has some power to it. Because that is what the world needs. The world needs the hope that can only be found through Jesus. 
And we have to be people who can tell that story of hope. My friend Jason, when I was in Tampa, I didn't meet a lot of people while we were, I mean, we met a lot of people, not a lot of people we kept up with. There's mainly one guy I've really kept up with. His name's Jason Sal, and he started a nonprofit while I was there called Laundry of Love. And basically, he did, what the nonprofit was is that he just got a bunch of people together, I mean, like 20, 30 people together, and they would go to different uh, uh, laundry mats because, you know, if people who are going to laundry mat typically aren't on the upper echelon of society. And they would go there with a bunch of quarters and just pay for their laundry that day. So just because God loved you. And that's all he did. And they began to see that there were people who started experiencing hope for the first time in their life from something simple. And so they began to make up shirts that said hope dealers. And that's the picture of the kingdom of God is we need to be people who are dealing hope but not hope that's just mere optimism, but hope that's grounded in faith that gives assurance to somebody that, hey, this is more than a quarter. This is more than just a free load of laundry today. This is more than just your clean clothes. This is God showing you that he loves you, and he's been showing you all along, and maybe you're seeing it for the first time through, you know, eight quarters, 12 quarters, whatever it is. But it's something you can begin to build your life on. It's something that we can build our life on. And then next week, I told you that we were going to talk about this. One of the things that, that I think that, that uh, I don't think I know, that James has brought <clears throat> to me, um, not as a concept, but just as like, hey, this is what I'm doing with my family as an inspiration to me, is he began a process where he and his family began to just pray through Scripture. And they would build these prayers, but just base, just straight off Scripture. And he was telling us a few weeks ago about how they basically just took the, the psalm for the year they were. So, for instance, I'm 43, so my psalm for that year would be Psalm 43. And begin to pray through that. And so Harrison, you know, 6 would be reading Psalm 6, you know, regularly throughout the year. And Simone, I don't know, 20 whatever, would be reading that, right? And, you know, that. so I thought that was cool. But another thing that, that they've done is built prayers based just solely off Scripture and just really prayed through Scripture. And I think that that conversation can bring something to us as a community. So, so next week on Zoom, uh, we're going to be talking some th- about the prayer aspect because we really just glossed over it. But it, I said I want to make it an important thing, and we only talked about it for two seconds, right? Next week, we're going to talk a little more about that, uh, prayer in general. But James is, I asked James last night, I said, hey, would you be willing to offer something to that conversation talking about praying through Scripture and kind of how you guys have done it and what you've seen God do through doing that, even if it's just in the expectation within your own life. And so that's what we'll be doing next week. My prayer, my hope that's grounded in faith is that 2021 is a fantastic year. Um, that we look back and see God's hand move in our individual lives, in the life of Mosaic Church, in our community of Easley. And that we can see that a commitment from a few folks to say, hey, we're going to commit to this, really begins to shift our expectation and the expectation of those people that we encounter. And we begin to see the kingdom of God really being revealed in ways that we haven't before. So as we end this morning, I want to end with one promise from God, from Deuteronomy 31, uh, chapter, I mean, it's chapter 31, verse 6, okay? 
and I'm going to pray, and then there'll be a couple more songs, and then we'll end. Hear this promise from God. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. God, you have not called us to live in fear, but to live in faith. And God, we thank you for your word that tells us that that faith is the evidence of things that are hoped for and the substance of what isn't yet seen. The substance, as if it's already real. God, when places in our lives where we lack that faith, would you remind us of your promises? Remind us where you have already been faithful and let that be the thing that puts faith to our hope. That gives us that assurance, that substance. May we be people who who don't deal optimism to other people. But we provide a hope that's grounded in a faith in you. God, it it may be be a year, 2020. It may be way easier, but my prayer is that 2021 will be a year that we see you move in ways that we've only yet hoped for. We love you, God, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.